there a sanitizer for your ears yet? If so, grab it right after this episode. You're gonna need it. This is Above the Fold and Below Your Expectations. Welcome everyone to Above the Fold. As always, you have Jeff and Francis here to talk all things marketing, all things weird, anything that's happening in our lives, it's gonna get brought up in this podcast. And how we usually start is we figure out where Jeff is now in the world, since he's not in the States anymore. He's moving around internationally. Um, Jeff, what country or alley, where are you these days? I'm still in Medellin. And hopefully from the last podcast, you remember what country that's attached to? Yeah, it's Panama, right? Or Canada? No, it's not. (laughs) No, it's still Colombia. Still Colombia. Yeah. Well done, man. You're, You're getting... You're getting further away, actually. This is why we have guests on, so they know the right answers when I don't. <laughs> Thank you. I actually, Michael, that's a good segue. Next, uh, let's introduce you. You just jumped right in there with the right answer. Do you want to co-host this thing? And Francis, you just drop off. You look busy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I, I know I'm the minority here in terms of like data versus creative. So. Um, uh, that that's going to be a thing, but, um, no, it's true. Let's just jump in, man. He jumped in. We don't need to hear from you anymore, Jeff. You're still in Colombia. Well, actually there's one funny oh, thing one that you guys can laugh okay. at. So you, you, there's one funny thing that you can laugh at. Well, there's always something funny you laugh at with me. It's usually a pretty easy one, but you've seen the movie big before, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, when he moves into that first apartment in New York. Yeah. It's huge and it's empty and he's yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like terrifying. There's people like shooting each other. Oh, out the front. first okay, one, so right, you, right. Yes, the I remember. first one. Of course, the, nobody's talking about any other big other than the first one. No, no, no. I meant like this. In, when he gets successful, he's got that massive apartment where he's riding his bike all over the place. But the very first yeah. one where there's like you know people shooting up on the street and screaming and yelling. So you never know what you're going to get with an Airbnb. <laughs> like it's it's basically like the catfishing of the rental world <laughs> so the pictures look great you know but they're putting all kinds of filters on it so i've got a situation like that right now i just moved into an airbnb this afternoon within the hour and i got in here and there's like cracks in the walls it's very very much like the big's first apartment <laughs> have you found any dead animals or people or limbs or have you not even searched? Well, I haven't looked under the bed yet. Typically, you don't want to look under the yeah. bed, right? Do you ever find anything that you want to find under a bed? No, no. So I kind no. of choose never to look. Just to, I want to live in that sort of like, I never want to know. Have you seen the movie Four Rooms? Yeah. Not recently, okay. but I, I have seen that. <laughs> maybe, maybe we don't need to go there, but now that you <laughs> Okay. So I'm not looking under the bed. Right? Yeah, don't look under the bed. That's a good life rule, yeah. Jeff Baker. So that's where in the world Jeff is. He's at the big apartment in uh, in Medellin. Great. I'm still in lockdown at home in Boston. Uh, traffic Ooh, that kids. sucks. And um, yeah, it's freezing outside today, although the sun's out. So that's a nice change. Um, so nothing's changed with me. Still, uh, still drunken at home. Um, but let's get on to our guest because this is the real reason people are here, Jeff. Hardly for us. Um, we are happy to, to have Michael Keplinger here, uh, director of strategy from smash brand. Um, and we are going to talk about something unique in terms of packaging, um, something different that Jeff and I, we haven't had anything like this on the show. And I think it's going to be a really unique one, but, um, Michael, if you could give us a quick rundown of, um, your background and, uh, let's, let's jump in. Thanks Francis. Um, Jeff and Francis, thanks for having me on the show. And I guess, uh, Along your lines, I'm in Boise, Idaho, 
a halfway lockdown city in America, <laughs> um, but a huge fan of Latin America. My wife and I, uh, lifelong goal to speak Spanish. I'm probably about halfway there. Um, have a lot of fun when we travel around throughout Latin America and just, uh, uh, you know, chatting with the locals. So, uh, but I haven't been to Colombia. So some, that's on the list someday. Where do you typically like to go? Um, we spend a lot of time in Mexico. I, um, when I was younger, I lived in Buenos Aires for four months. I had an apartment there. And um, so I've been through Chile, um, Costa, basically all through Central America, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Honduras. Um, so when, whenever we can get down there, I think that we are somehow trying to earmark uh, living one year uh, with our kids, I've got three three kids in elementary school in um, uh, Cuenca, Ecuador. Ah, okay. Well, we, we were hoping to go there, but uh, things kind of changed, so I didn't end up in Ecuador. But we may have crossed paths in in a city at some point. I mean, I've been I've spent the better part of the last two three years down here in one country or another. Yeah, I've through my travels, it's I, I've lived it and heard it, but it's true that the uh, the kind of the traveler's path is actually more narrow than you think, and you just seem to always bump into people. It really is, isn't it? And that's it really is. It's remarkable. I, yeah, I, I remember um, I went on a trip to I was in Puerto Escondido, and then went to um, where did I go? Uh, somewhere in Costa Rica, somewhere like somewhere deep on the peninsula, and I saw the same dude twice within two months. I'm all, wait a minute. This is like a very, very familiar looking dude. And one of my friends came up to me. He's like, Hey, do you recognize him? Oh yeah. He's like, Oh yeah. He was in the last place. And by the way, he's also with the group that we're traveling with. So apparently there's a guy that was part of the group they were traveling with going to the same locations that I didn't even realize, but they're all super connected. Like all of these little hot spots that everybody travels through Latin America, there's probably like 20, 25 of them or so. And you just run into the same faces if you're looking for them. Totally. So I guess I should probably do the real introduction of myself now. <laughs> so I, um, my, Michael Kaplinger, uh, I am a, the director of strategy, also a, par a partner at Smash Brand. And um, my business partner and I actually started our first business together over 20 years ago. And it was actually a consumer, uh, consumer product company in, in the health food space and had owned and ran that brand for uh, 10 years before we um, started Smash Brand. And um, less known secret, I guess, is that we actually still have three brands that we um, own and manage of consumer products. Uh, and uh, but you know, really, where Smash Brand came about and where we're there is is I think it's that uh, that initial um, the uh, that fun part, that entrepreneurial spirit of coming up with the idea, coming up with the branding, and it's that that just building something out of nothing was really uh, the most fun and the most passionate. And so Smash Brand gives us an outlet to really um, do that for our other clients. And so we, um, and he's, he's more runs our creative team and I run our research and strategy team. So I'm gonna speak for the simpletons in the group, that'd be me. Can you explain in 30 seconds what con consumer packaged goods means in context of like what you do and like um, in a way that somebody that has no idea what it is yeah, sure. It, uh, long ago, it used to kind of be all there was, but I guess in the digital world, um, it's 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 the real, right? So you walk in the store, primarily uh, physical goods that are on a shelf somewhere, whether it's a grocery store, drugstore, Home Depot, tons of stores like this. Um, we deal uh, primarily in those types of, of goods and services. 
or, or goods, really, just products, consumer packaged goods. So you're actually working on the package design work and what the psychology that goes into that, that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, so we're a brand strategy agency for CPGs. And so, you know, this is really important these days because our brains are turned off or tuned to not pay attention to advertising. Um, it's really that whole thing. That's the brand act- activation side of how get get people to be aware of it. But with consumer products, so much of the introduction to the brand and the product happens right there in that retail shelf, like in the aisle. And so the, I guess the easy way to sum up what we do is uh, on the strategy side, we get inside the customer's head and we map out and we find the white space of where they can be successful on that shelf. Uh, and then we take that into designs that will kind of bring that forward and um, and take it. What's unique to Smash Brand is take that into testing and, and essentially prove uh, what would be the most successful on the shelf. That is so that is so fascinating. And because I'm imagining like I'm, I'm walking in. And I'm, I'm just thinking, well, when I was walking into stores, but well, when I'm walking into stores and considering like, what am I drawn to? And then what do I actually pick up? And why, why do I care about that? I mean, I have to assume that's kind of the journey that you're looking at here, Michael, in terms of how you entice people to literally walk up to something and pick it up. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we, every one of us has our own unique uh, pieces that we bring to the table. It's everything in the back of our mind that is processed probably like, Immediately and subconsciously, as you relate these products to things that you know, relate them to other, um, you know, what category is it in and all these things. And so um, it's kind of complex. You have to map that all out and get a, get a lay of the land. You know, if you're a brand new product category, my approach would be very different than if it's highly competitive. And I'm really got to focus on some attribute of the product that is better than my competitors. Um, and that's more on the product side. But then the brand, too, is it you know, a powerful brand is going to bring some emotive element forward there and, and, and let people resonate with it. And so that happens through a combination of words and visuals, but that's the strategy, really. So what kind of what kind of things from a psychology point of view have you noticed with what you do that would surprise people? Like, I don't know. I, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but an example would be colors, shapes, things like that. Um, that impact the way people feel? You said emotive, like what, what kind of emotive types of things are there? Yeah, so I would um, kind of staying in general terms, really, when, when someone walks down the aisle and um, you've got the context, right? What am I around? So I'm a cereal and there's a whole bunch of cereals there. And, um, and you know, we always speak in terms of the job of the packaging. And so I guess, yes, at a very, a very kind of initial level is... Am I even interested? And can I explain to you what this product is? And there are a lot of people aren't interested in that particular product category, so they just kind of mosey on by. But assuming I am, then, um, and, and I won't get that far unless I communicate that. So that's like, you know, step number one. And, but beyond that too, it's that, okay, well, there's, I've, there's some options here. I have some options. And, you know, I, maybe I'm the type of person that really um, is into my health and I, I care very much about, um, you know, care for the, the environment and these kinds of things. And they happen to be strong pillars of the brand. And so you need to resonate with them and, and kind of bring those things forward and, and show, but at the same time, balancing that you're communicating what the product is. And so that's just, you know, a product as an example, a high level, uh, uh, that one that might be um, targeted towards that type of buyer. Um, and so you do that. And now, um, you know, we use trends and things. We kind of look at examples of successful products of, of moving forward into you know, if it's a calm, peaceful, there's certainly a lot of 
a lot of research on colors that work well with that. Um, and so we, but sometimes what we can th- do also is really push the envelope and try different avenues. And that's where our testing can really resonate. And so you have these drivers and, and I'm talking around it, but some of them are emotive and some of them are related specifically to product attributes that solve my needs. And so when we go into testing and maybe we're testing several of our own um, concepts and things that we're doing, we can quantitatively measure these about, okay, this design is actually doing a better job, or this one is would do a good job, but it actually just kind of feels cluttered and confusing. And so there's a resistance point there. And so there's, uh, there's kind of how we put all those little pieces together into like a recipe, so to speak. Speaking of testing i just got this conjured this image of big where they bring in the toy and they show it to a bunch of people and they're like i don't get it how close is it to that when you're testing these products do you have a you have a lab do you have a group of people where you bring them stuff and you see how they respond to it i don't want to simplify what you're doing but i'm like excited about the idea of that being possible I'm excited about the idea of relating the entire world to the movie Big. I was going to say the same thing. How many times did you watch that before, man? It's been years. I don't know. It's just working today. <laughs> it's working. I like it um, because actually that's a, that's a pretty good um, approximation. Um, but in the sense that we have um, long since really cued off of, of simulating this buying experience, which is equivalent to handing the kid in person this toy. Um, online because it allows us to be faster, more nimble, and you get uh, you get the same results, and and we're able to go back and repeat it. And so, so yes, um, but to the extent that uh, I'm not, you know, pulling out and finding people and bringing them into a room and having them touch and feel the package, um, so we tend to focus a bit more on the front of the packaging, which that primer display is it communicating what it needs to, and then kind of just simulating that environment um, in like online online focus groups. Out of curiosity, what about when the, the unboxing, when you open up the package? I mean, one thing that I've noticed is, and I think it's really mainly with um, the electronics, that I feel like the inside of the box has gotten a lot more creative. And and I don't want to go into like the, the creative, like maybe there's a story in there about the way things are, but it, it feels like there might be because just the way some things are packaged and, you know, it's hidden behind this thing and to reveal something else. Um, is that part of it or is it really just front of box stuff for you in the, in the sense of being able to kind of entice people? No, we do. We have a lot of different ways that we can approach it. And, um, really like you're, you're explaining too, you're not going to really have an unboxing for a granola bar because the packaging has a job of communicating and then you tear it open and it goes in the trash and you eat food. But, um, but the other things and usually in higher price point, like you said, and so as you get, and we've actually done testing too on just conceptual ideas. Uh, we're working on a project right now with a building material supplier. They make quartz countertops. And, um, and so that's a bit more challenging because I'm not, they have no packaging and they never will. So, um, in those kinds of say, uh, instances, we'll probably will create some video. So relating to your question, Francis, about the unboxing, if that was an important thing that we wanted to really, and we were working on, you know, what that whole 3D package and experience looks like, we would probably uh, do that through video. So they, it's like they're there, even though they're not touching it. And they, they watch this unboxing video and then just kind of give us feedback on that. So you're taking a very qualitative thing and quantifying it right so you've got like a math and psychology type thing going on um yeah i would say um it's, it's interesting how we landed here i have a degree computer engineering very very technical role and then i went back to business school and my mba and um, i used to 
when we started our business, I was always the operations and finance guy and uh, business school too. I thought I would just kind of stick with that. I was good at it, but I don't know, just something resonated with, with uh, marketing, particularly on the data side. And um, that's really what introduced me to this, this kind of consumer psychology and, and the quantitative testing of, of consumer surveying and these kinds of things. And so um, it was kind of a natural fit when we come in here and bring that in there and plugging it on, which I think those unique circumstances is really why uh, you don't see other packaging agencies that do this, that do it quite like this um, with the integrated testing in their process. Can you give us an example of like maybe just a, a rundown of a recent product that you did? I mean, you could make it generic or you can pick some something that wasn't NDA and just give us an idea of like the packaging that you created and what the testing situation looked like and then going to shelf. Sure. And the timing's good here because um, one project, a really big project we worked on uh, last year is uh, finally hitting the shelves as of January. And so now I'm allowed to talk about it. Um, but uh, this is a, a big brand that um, they are called Red Gold. They make uh, canned tomatoes, such a boring product category, right? And um, depending on where you grew up, uh, apparently m the majority of America has heard of queso dip, which is Rotel and queso, or Rotel and Velveeta melted together in this like amazing, delicious dip. Um, if you scrunch your faces, then you're probably uh, are not you're asking, Are you asking us what queso is? Yeah, and I'm the only one in America that doesn't know, didn't know what it was going into this. <laughs> oh my God! You get so you get a bag of Tostitos and you throw that in queso. You've got a you got a night. <laughs> you do, yes. A part that's a party a party in a can and a in a bag of cheese, right? <laughs> I'm canceling my plans. That is, I don't think there's any better drunken food than that. Guys. <laughs> oh man, well. You got so, okay, well, I have everyone's attention. I'm talking yeah. about queso dip here, but <laughs> but they, uh, and Rotel owns it. It's like, that's the recipe. It's not a can of diced tomatoes. It's a yeah. can of Rotel. <laughs> and so they're, they're, um, one of their kind of product lines was really head to head trying to steal business away from Rotel. That's a, a bad strategy. And, and we kind of told them as much and, and we told them that we can do better. And so um, as we approach us, like, okay, we've got this boring can of tomatoes. How do we how do we do something with this? And so that one started out with a really deep kind of research project into the, the minds of consumers and the trends and these things and visually where things are at. And um, and what we landed on, and I'm going to, your question was like how this fits in. And so we actually had three strategies of how they could just say, hey, forget about queso dip, go in a completely different direction. Uh, you know, we've got these, we've identified, you know, young millennial moms that uh, are always on the go. They almost always work. They want quick, easy meals. And so, you know, rebrand this thing as a quick, easy meal thing. Or um, you've got, uh, or you could go even more now and, and be towards like the cook in your kind of college kids and really young, just like very, very easy um, as, as a, like a kid or something like this. And then the third one, which is what we came to market with because it tested well, um, was the their new brand called Tomato Love. And it really, because deep behind all the scenes, Rotel is this big brand that uh, is so commercialized and they're publicly traded. And, and, and they what they are is a bunch of family-owned, fourth-generation family farmers in Illinois that have all partnerships with all these other local family farms, and all they do is make tomatoes. And so they live and breathe and make the best tomatoes. And they're like, we have the best tomatoes, but no one knows it. And so we brought that forward uh, in the brand of Tomato Love. And it was the story about their love for tomatoes to come forward and make the best possible tomatoes. And the cans were um, really fun. And so that 
the first part of testing was those three strategies, which would resonate better, which would work better. And uh, so we landed there and then we went into um, several rounds of concepts and they were all over the place. And um, one of a more fun design, which had, uh, you know, bring it to life and putting characters on the uh, tomatoes and the and the chili peppers kind of having a little tomato love party innuendo, <laughs> but kind of G-rated here. Um, that just <laughs> flew off. That just kind of flew off the proverbial testing shelf. And now they're hitting they're, now they're hitting the shelves and um, and flying off the real shelves. Am I looking at the can right? Well, you can't see, obviously, but I'm looking at a tomato smiling at a pepper. And they're both cracking up. That's our work. Yes, that's that it. is so good, Francis. You're gonna have to Google this. I'm doing it now. I'm actually doing it right you now. Want to buy this can. This I mean, it's, so I showed it. I bring it home. Like they sent us a whole case of all the finished product, and it, I brought it home, and it was on the counter. Um, and my wife's like, "God, that's something I actually would just want to sit out on the counter. It looks so cool." <laughs> it, I know it is really cool. Wow. Like I've never gotten excited about tomatoes before, but I've. I've I'm excited about his middle. Well, watch out, watch yeah. out, Rotel. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm. You went from talking about like quick and easy meals, you know, millennial moms or even college kids, and then going right into this story about the family. I mean, I'm so curious. How did how did that come about? I mean, was that just through research? Did someone like go into the history of it? Was that always something in the beginning that just kind of got you know, got more prominent, had more steam as the, as the, um, as the project went on. I'm, I'm so curious about that part. Yeah. So you have to, when you approach it, you just say, well, where are we at in the marketplace? What, what are the right. consumer trends? And as I tell you these, they're going to be so obvious because we know that these are the trends going on. Um, trends of consumers being more health conscious, right? More quality ingredients. They're willing to pay more for quality ingredients. And, um, and so that was, and then what you have to do is you have to take the trends and things that you know might resonate well uh, and match that with the capabilities of the business. Um, you know, Conagra Foods, that's who owns Rotel, they would have a harder time delivering on that because that's not who they are. That's not their, at the root, that's not what the company's about. Yeah. But for Red Gold, that was, there was a really good match between that. Um, and then, uh, you know, as you look at the, we can all relate to the kind of the younger generation, dual income families, and just always being on the go and needing to just have quick and easy, easy, like where's the internet, everything, those are the trends that are out there. Uh, and so, you know, delivering on that, they could also deliver on that. Um, well, that's more of a, a positioning and a marketing play as, as opposed to uh, opposed to uh, like something innate about them as a company that could deliver on that. But these are these are where kind of the ideas and opportunities of how you can address a, a and and then you can't do that in a vacuum. You have to go look at what's out on the shelf today, like the competition. If if everybody says they're the best thing and they have a locally family owned farm, that's probably not going to be all that successful. Mm -hmm. And so you have to weigh all of these things and say, hey, I think that uh, we can be very successful here. Um, your ability to execute on it. Um, the market's reception to this, the trends heading this direction, and uh, nobody else is really positioned this way. I feel like you're doing the actual marketing things that people think marketing is, if that makes any sense. Like most people think marketing is this is branding, design work, all that kind of stuff, but 99% of it is just me in a spreadsheet. <laughs> you know, like most of it's digital marketing. This is super cool, man. Like I yeah. did not expect. You know, honestly, I think and that's a good point, Jeff, because I think that the difference we're talking about, what we're what I'm talking about is branding. Yeah. It really is. It's the it's the line between and really we um 
we we kind of say that we are we are brand strategy and we draw the line and we don't do brand activation. The spreadsheet comes into play um, when you're doing activation and when you're trying to really test where it works and you have the strategy, you've tested it, it's going to work, but um, you know how you put that forward and how that manifests itself in front of consumers. Um, you know, there's, there's ways, there's different ways you can do it and some will be more successful than others. And that's where you got your, you know, your digital AB testing and all that kind of stuff going on. But the strategy, um, I like to think of it as, um, you know, if you think of like a, a military term, a force multiplier, you do X at first and it multiplies all your other efforts moving forward because, um, because you have a better product, you have a better positioning, you have a better brand. Mm, interesting. And it's. What you said about, you know, it could be the, the trends could be obvious. Um, I have to imagine you not only you, you probably had data to back that up because anyone can kind of say that, but a lot, until, until you have numbers to kind of show, people aren't going to kind of come on board. Um, and I have to imagine that that was a big part of the process too. Um, when you were close to, um, to finalizing Tomato Love, was it a unanimous sort of like that works or were there some dissenters? And if there were some dissenters, how do you know that there's enough to kind of move forward? Yeah, there, um, I, I'm, when you say dissenters, I guess you're talking about the client being receptive of this radical departure from where they were. Yeah. Um, this is something that I think big brands face a lot because, mm -hmm. um, they just, it's so different and they have to protect what they have. Um, and so, it's fun. It's really fun to work with brands that engage that allow us to do that. But I think that to answer your question and where that comes from, it's it's the test. It's the testing stuff that gives them the confidence. Um, because yes, they. In fact, I think when we were going this direction, he, they were just like, "Wow, I don't know. This isn't us. This just doesn't feel right." Um, but we're going to go with it because it's testing well. Like it's. It, I mean, you talk to a thousand consumers, and this is. You know, you're beating Hunts and, and Rotel, right? So, um, and, and also on a relative basis, like, okay, this other strategy and this other design we looked at, you know, this is, this is only beating, you know, it's at parity with Rotel and this one's beating them by, you know, X percent. And I'm not going to put any percentages out here on this <laughs> public forum, but um, they, so that gives them the confidence that will work, even though it's uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and I think that that is uh, necessary for these these kind of existing incumbent brands to to succeed because the guy who comes in out of left left field he's got nothing to lose and he's going to be radical and different and um five of them are going to fail and then the, then the sixth guy is going to do it all right and it works he probably did it out of guesswork um but uh someone's going to get lucky you just don't hear about the five that failed to get there so um, so I think that uh, brands that uh, that, you know, if you're responsible for these kinds of products and and um, some of them probably see diminishing sales or maybe, you know, lackluster growth, uh, it's I think they have a lot to gain from embracing the change. But the, the key to bridge that is is the confidence that I think comes from the testing. I, yeah, I completely agree with you. Coming from what I do in digital marketing, content marketing, SEOs, you get a lot of pushback because of the recommendations that you make are so near and dear to who they think their brand is. And if it has any sort of conflict with that, you have to, you really have to hit them with data in order for them to actually to buy in. You know, for example, we we are a content marketing agency, but we didn't like the word. The, the owners didn't like the word agency, like just personal preference, didn't like the word agency, didn't want to use it as part of the brand. However, that's what everybody searches. 
you know, so I actually had to come in with data that said, look, you might not like this word, but everybody else in the world does like this word. So here's the proof. And this is what's going to happen if we do that. And then once you get to that type of you know, positive conversation, then you actually get some stuff to move around a little bit. And you think about the uh, the opposite of digital marketing, the, the packaging is fairly static. You know, you've got that tomato company, I guarantee they're going to print million in the millions. And so once that goes on the shelf, it's it's years before you really have an opportunity to undo it. And so the testing is even more critically important um, with a consumer, with a physical product where you kind of have to put that first foot forward. You have to do it right uh, from the get-go. So are you doing, when you're doing this testing, that's got to be absolutely critical. Like we are just talking about, I can get away with a lot more than you can. I can, because I can always reverse things. So when you're doing the testing, are you doing ABC testing with groups, ABCDEFG? Like how far into this do you go before you land on a winner? I imagine it depends, but you probably got to have some sort of standard, right? We do. We have um, this kind of standardized. I mean, it's uh, like I said, it all comes down to. What are, what are the, what's the job of the packaging? And so every test has to be tailored towards the specific goals of that product and, and their position and trying to validate against that. But, but ultimately, we have different types of tests. So like in, in, and we're talking now, we're talking about the, test, the testing for design work. And um, so I may have a number of, of packaging products or designs that, that our team has put forward and candidates for potentially go, moving forward to. And so we'll test those and we'll take, you know, let's say I've got four different ones and I might take a, a thousand consumers or, or 800 and send 200 down uh, separately down each of these, uh, looking at each of these individually and then really just measuring, quantifying how the alignment with, you know, the goals and the strategy and what's grabbing attention, trying to find problem areas, things that, you know, busyness and, and just overall uh, appeal, we try not to go too far into just saying I like it because uh, you have to focus on what the job is and the job isn't for the consumer to like it. Um, it's it's to sell and to uh, get them to pick it up, be interested in, buy it ultimately. Um, and they'll tell you they love something, but uh, there's actually lots and lots of data that it, it doesn't always correlate to sales and that's mm. what matters. Um, so that's the concept test, right? And so we might learn, um, and, and within that too, it's not so like, oh, here's your winner, let's go to market. Um, because there might be pieces that are working on one design and versus another and how we communicate it. We might, um, you know, just different things like this that we can go in and, and narrow in. Sometimes it's just one design that really comes forward or, or maybe we have two more. And then we have, um, and then we have a competitive test. And, and here, like in the case with uh, red gold, which I, or tomato love now, really that I alluded to, we are going to test, um, against a competitive set. So we're simulating what you might find in the marketplace. I'm going to walk down that tomato aisle. I'm going to see Rotel and I'm going to see, you know, um, you know, maybe Heinz or some other cans of tomatoes. And so we can rotate through, um, since they're, if they're an existing product, that's our baseline. We're going to stick what they have today. And then we're going to stick, uh, you know, a number of designs, candidates, final candidates in there. And now we're measuring the performance of those that kind of correlates. Not it doesn't predict market behavior, but what we, but the magic really is to focus on the difference, uh, just like an A/B test, right? Um, I can say I can't tell you how many of you're going to sell, but I can tell you that this design is going to outperform that design versus Rotel and Hunts, and that's very. Um, 
And that is very, very uh, useful. And, and that translates to market performance. Um, and so what we're doing is, is best foot, we, we can basically prove your best foot forward. When you're in a supermarket, what does your brain do? Are you able <laughs> to walk down an aisle like a normal shopper? Or are you constantly fixing brands in your brain? I was totally going to ask this. I was wondering if this ruined that experience for him. Like, do you hate packaging now because of this? Because you right. know what they're trying to do. You know, it's it's not uh, it's not an automatic ruin. What it is, it's more yeah. an amplifier. Mm-hmm. So good packaging stands out. I'm like, that is amazing. That's really good. <laughs> And bad packaging, I'm like, oh boy. And um, I could guarantee we could, you could pick, you pick the aisle in the grocery store, we'll walk down there and I'll find something that uh, we could have fixed. And I'm like, that is just a dumb error. And they, they don't even realize that it's causing resistance to purchasing and, and just like not communicating what they probably want to communicate. Do you have an example of some really, really good packaging that you've noticed and or, and or some really bad packaging? Um, you know, one that I, I really like because they, um, I love RX bar and I love them as a, as a case study and, uh, granola bars were just kind of growing and they just kind of, I would imagine whether they did it on purpose or not, that their brand strategy was like, Hey, there's all these like million ingredients on the back here. Nobody knows what's in here. Like proprietary blends. We're like, screw the BS. We got five ingredients. And they're all super healthy, but that wasn't even enough. They put the ingredients on the front of the package and said, and, and wrote no BS, right? I'm like, that is powerful. If it's just like, what are you communicating? You're communicating like honest health. Mm-hmm. And that is like, wow. And if you look at it, there's nothing, there's nothing impactful about the design. It's solid colors. No, it's just, it's just amazing that they did that. So, and you know, if you, if you came to a design agency and they, the first step that they did was to start designing stuff, they're not going to come up with that. They're going to try and impress you with all kinds of swirls and crazy colors and things. Um, but when you have a strategy, you're like, no, your strategy is to be no BS. You don't need all this crazy design and everything. Just lay it out there, right there on front. And it's, uh, they're like this amazing success story of a brand. Well, getting back to your point, like, I don't, I don't like the design, but that's not the point. I buy the design, right? That's the whole yeah. gist of it. I see that, and I'm like, yeah, I want to buy it because it does exactly what I need it to do. It tells me what's in the package. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't have any questions left. You know, I'm not going to look at the design and go, ooh, wow, that's amazing. But I'm definitely going to buy it. You want, you want to hear my failure story? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this, one, this one really got me personally. Hit a, hurt, hit a personal note. Um, so I buy Horizon organic uh, milk and organic half and half, half for a long time. And uh, so I'm buying this. And then one day I roll into the grocery store and, and right next to the Horizon organic milk, it says Horizon organic grass fed milk. And I'm like, WTF, wasn't that what I've been buying for the last five years? What the hell's in the red box? <laughs> what is in the red box? What is in the red box? I pick it up. I look on the back of the red box and it says, oh, our cows are in the pasture and all these things. And and it raised a question I didn't have. And it made me, it created so much distrust in the brand that I stopped buying it. And, um, and the reality is, and you dig into it, 
And the way organic rules are written is a bunch of BS because uh, all they have to do is basically spend a small portion of their life uh, feeding on grass. And so they, they shot themselves in the foot, in my opinion, to come out with this new product. Uh, they were the dominant brand and charged 50 cents extra because it's grass fed when I thought that's what I was already getting. Wow. Right. Wow. In the uh, early 2000s, I used to work on ranches. I used to work in mosquito abatement, and I just worked all the ranches. There's a lot of mosquito problems out there. And this was during the boom of the organic phase back in 2006, 2007. I asked them what the difference was. I asked the ranchers, what is the difference between your organic or your, your non-organic and now your half switched over field of organic? And he looked at me and he said, the feed is twice as much, and now we let the cows die. <laughs> it was the only thing I have ever heard. He said, I mean, what do you mean let the cows die? He said, well, yeah, we can't use any antibiotics on them anymore because it's not organic. So I always let the cows die. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. And so I went to the store and I saw organic. I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to feel about this. This just means it can't. All right, I don't want to go any further than that. It's going to get pretty dark. <laughs> Not, uh, yeah, maybe a little darker than your story, but um, I'll tell you. No, I, there's a, there, we could talk for a long time about organic. The, the, the lack of what that, what yeah, that signifies yeah. is diminishing quickly. That some brands going to figure out how they can have a product that's probably that, that consumers believe that it's better mm-hmm. than organic and they don't have to pay that surcharge and they can just be way more profitable. It'll be some other word because at this point, you're right. Like even organic, I don't know the details, but I know enough that it, I'm not sure what it means anymore, you know? And I, I've read articles about like what you just said, Michael, there are certain stipulations like now it officially is organic, but is it really? And so that's enough for me. Like, I don't know if it matters anymore. Um, right. Well, it's expanded now. I mean, it's expanded into free range. It's expanded into cruelty free. Yep. It's expanded into... Um, gluten-free, everything, you know? So organic doesn't, I don't know, that might be old hat. That might not mean anything anymore. Well, you can see that's where the personas are. Like, that's who they're at, like, you know, you know, cruelty-free. That's specifically a specific audience that they're going, that they're, they're aiming at. Um, but I do wonder if there's something else in the future that is more encompassing or if that's, if that's even possible. But, I mean, not to go all on organic stuff, but it's, it's, it's really interesting. And I, I've, yeah. I, I don't know if I am drawn to it anymore. <laughs> so that was a good example of a failure of trust. Mm. Definitely. Um, do you have an example of a failure of packaging? Oh, you're going to have to bring Kevin on that one. Cause I have a feeling what you're relating to is more of the design. So I go in and I have conceptual failures and, um, and I get in trouble because I'll start, I, I feel very passionately about something. And I, I, in my head, I think I know how I can, bring that to life and design and our designers they're really good designers like uh michael you don't know what you're talking about you are not a designer you are not allowed to comment anymore on that you're the data guy right yeah i'm the data guy i'm the conceptual guy i'm the strategy guy yeah no same same thing i'm the spreadsheet guy i'm the web analytics guy and then we've got graphic designers say does this look good i'm like i don't know does it look good that you, you don't ask me. Like, I know my area. That's that's definitely not it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm allowed to say it needs more cowbell. That's about it. <laughs> more cow- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, same thing. I'm sure they make love that. I'm sure they love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, get pop. That's my favorite thing to hear clients say. <laughs> yeah. 
What is the dynamic between you and your business partner, Kevin, uh, who you reference? Because yeah, like you said, he's more of the creative side of things. So is there a good like uh, give and take between you two? Is it do you guys butt heads? What What is it like? No, you know, and I think that's why um, we're really good business partners. We've owned several businesses together and um, we think very differently. But somehow, some way, we uh, we almost always land in the same place. And then when we don't, it's really quick and easy to come to some sort of compromise. So uh, I, I think that I've learned over years of owning businesses for over 20 years that it's kind of a, a, a rarity. And so uh, pretty lucky. Uh, I think we have a, a pretty lucky partnership. Sounds like it. Very cool. I know. Um, I think we're up against the time. Um, uh, Michael, thanks for being part of this. Is there... Anything you want to tell the uh, the audience um, uh, before you before you go? Anything you want to uh, kind of promote? Well, I um, I think that uh, if you've listened this far, you have a good sense of what we do at Smash Brand, and you know whether you're in the position or not to to hire us. I think we could do amazing work. But if you're not, just I would say just taking away if, if you're working on a brand and it really is translatable to services too, is just. Uh, um, my whole advice is to spend more time up front on that strategy. Remember that it's going to multiply everything else you do down the road. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just that's the most fun, really. It's the creation side of it. Oh, well, thanks so much, man. This was honestly really interesting. We've never been able to talk about packaging like this. I know whenever I get back to a store, I'm going to look down aisles a little differently now, too. And um, thanks, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys.